For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Beaulieu. In an age of political polarization and disinformation, companies looking to build trust with stakeholders would be wise to consider the advice of Dr. Yoram Solomon. Not only has he been studying trust for more than a decade, he wrote The Book of Trust, considered the most comprehensive tome ever written on the topic. He is also author of the book series, Can I Trust You?, and hosts the Trust Show podcast. Trust is the foundation of everything, Dr. Solomon admits. In fact, knowing whether someone can trust you and you can trust them will likely determine both professional and personal success or failure. According to Dr. Solomon, a trustworthy salesperson can sell the same product for a 29.6% higher price than an untrustworthy salesperson, while a trustworthy leader can increase productivity by 64%. Despite these impressive numbers, there's no denying that trust is eroding rapidly throughout the country. To discuss the issues and the role trust plays in driving brand purpose, I am joined by Dr. Solomon. He holds a PhD in organization and management, an MBA, a law degree, and an engineering degree. Dr. Solomon, welcome to the podcast. Ken, thank you for having me, and thank you for giving trust such a prominent place on your podcast. Absolutely. And for the record, Dr. Solomon, I believe you own more degrees than anyone I've ever had on the show, so congratulations. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So my, my first question is, there are varying definitions of trust, probably degrees of trust to some extent. How do you define trust? You know, it's, it's a great question. Uh, when I started my, my the whole topic of trust, uh, started my focus, uh, the first thing I did was to start looking at whatever definitions already existed. Dictionary definitions were completely useless. I started sure. looking at research done through the ages, decades of research to try and come up with, with my definition. And the more I got into it, the more I got into this definition. The level of trust that you have is the level of willingness that you have to accept the possible negative consequences of giving control over something that you have control over to someone else expecting them to minimize those negative consequences. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds pretty elaborate, but in essence, it's your willingness to let go of control, your willingness to accept negative consequences, and your expectation that the person you give control to would minimize those consequences, the negative consequences. Sure, but how easy is that for someone to give up that control? That's going to be a difficult right. thing for most people. It's it's interesting that, um, first of all, it's different for different people. And sure. uh, just two weeks ago, I gave uh, my second TED, TED Talk. Uh, the title of that would, would be very applicable. It's the relativity of trust. Because I believe the trust is relative and it's it differs for different people. In fact, one of the things that, that I say is in, in that TED Talk is that the same behavior, or the same action that you will take would cause one person, could cause one person to trust you and another person to distrust mm -hmm. you. And, and I gave mm -hmm. uh, several examples. But to me, the level of trust depends on the level of fear that you have of some risk that you might be taking. And, and I, would, I would claim that the risk is objective. I mean, whether we agree or not, mm -hmm. we're subject to the same level of risk. Where we disagree, and this is where it becomes subjective, is how afraid are we of that risk or of the negative consequences that result from that risk that, that we're taking? 
in order to feel safe, we must compensate for that fear with a level of trust. And that's the uh, the correlation between those, those terms. So if I'm not afraid of something, I don't need to trust somebody very much sure. if I'm not afraid. If I'm afraid of it, I must trust someone or something to help me compensate, to help me overcome that fear that I have. Well, you know, we've seen that the erosion of trust or big erosion of trust in government, the media, and even NGOs for that matter. What are the driving forces behind this trend and how do we become a more trusting society? Well, uh, in in my podcast, the the Trust Show, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was the second episode of this current season. We're in the fifth season, uh, where I talked about that exact thing. What, why is it the trust is eroding? And there are several components. I, I kind of looked at my model of uh, trustworthiness and trust. That's made of six components, and one of them is competence. I've been involved with education for a very very long period of time. I'm actually still a professor, an adjunct professor in in one of the more prestigious universities in Mm -hmm. Texas, uh, SMU. And I believe that the level of education is declining. I mean, not just the two years that we spent uh, remote teaching or remote learning uh, under COVID, but even before that, I I could see a decline in the level of education. And if there is a decline in the level of education, first of all, when you're, whether you're a K through 12, you are kicking this off to universities, to colleges. And, you know, their starting point, the students that come in are at the lower level of education that they used to be, uh, at least when I went to any of my four degrees. Sure. And as a result, the universities, there's so much that they can do in four years or even in six, seven or eight years. And what we get is we get a workforce that has a lower level of competence. The uh, great resignation that happened over the last two years is definitely not helping because if you want somebody to work for you, you have to lower the bar because they're, for every one person looking for a job, there are two open jobs waiting for them. And so you have to lower the bar in order to uh, get someone that, you know, before maybe you would have rejected initially. So we have a decline in the level of competence. You mentioned in in the introduction, you talked about the political polarization that we Mm -hmm. have, and that only draws us further apart to the point where the uh, component of personality compatibility is being hurt. So Mm -hmm. I I don't trust, I I don't trust half the population because they don't agree with me politically. Right. Then I go into uh, pay equality or or symmetry is a component. Pay equality is is just one example. The year I was born, 1965, oops, I just said my age. Uh, The year I was born, pay equality between CEO and employees was 21 to 1. The first year of COVID 2020, that ratio was 351 to one. We're getting into a very significant inequality and we're getting more aware of inequality in in our society, whether it's racial, gender, CEO to employees, that hurts trust. And then, you know, as I talk about the components of uh, the dynamic components of trust, uh, what happens when we interact, the two that are kind of starting an interaction, the level of BS that we bring in and the empathy that, that we feel towards the person we interact with, 
There was a study done in 2017 of the level of empathy that we feel. It's really uh, their starting point in that study was uh, our individualism, or in other words, the word revolves around me, right? Mm -hmm. Over a period of 51 years, that individualism, that that notion that the world revolves around me, increased 12% in 78 countries. Now, you may say 51 years, 12%, what's the big deal? It's 60 to 69% in English-speaking countries. Guess who's leading that trend? Mm. So the, we, we feel that the world revolves around us. We behave in a way that the world revolves around us. When I talk about BS, I talk about the marketing techniques that, uh, that are being used today. Mm-hmm. You know, just yesterday, I, I watched a, a TV commercial that, that's been shown continuously for, for quite some time for one of the main cellular carriers. And they talk about the fact that we're giving new phones to new and existing carriers. And I'm thinking... Yeah, but so are your competitors. And and yet you pretend to be the only ones doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, you know, marketing techniques uh, are are one thing, but but we're going to fraud. We're going to cyber terrorism. So who do you trust? Who do you trust online? When when somebody reaches out to you trying to sell you something, you, you know, just today, somebody knocked at my door and started the same script that somebody else started uh, trying to sell me, uh, what was it, insect control or something like that. It's like everybody's using the same script. How, how do you mm-hmm. want me to trust you? Well, you know, when you take it down to the consumer level, I mean, we've heard, you've seen studies that they, they will want to work for and buy from folks who align with their values. So what role does trust play in all of that? I think it is that specific activity, that that. One of the major components, and, and I'll tell you, in one of my studies, I believe that was either 2018 or 2019, what I found was that the strongest correlation of any one of my components, I kind of started breaking them down and combining them until I, I got down to those six components. Yeah. The strongest correlation to trust was shared values. That was the stronger correlation, 86%. Mm-hmm. So if you're a company that shares my values, the correlation between that and the trust that I have in you is 86%. So that plays a huge role. You know, it's more than competence. It's more than competence. I found, I think the number was 56 point something percent correlation to competence. So I would trust you more if you share my values. And I should say, you're not gonna share 100% of my values. But do you share those that, that matter to me? Mm-hmm. your client. And, and I can tell you that you're never going to share it with everyone, with 100% of the people. And you still don't give up. And, and I'll tell you the example that I gave in that TED Talk, uh, now that the TED Talk is past me, is behind me. Are you familiar with a website called ratemyprofessors.com? I am not. Okay, you have kids in college. They're good. They're beyond college now. They're yeah. beyond college. Okay, so so they probably finished college before that page went out. Right. But uh, my older daughter is beyond college. My younger daughter is now a senior in college. One day I noticed that she was signing up for classes and she was looking to a website through a website called ratemyprofessors.com. Mm-hmm. So I asked her, well, what is that website? And uh, well, it's a website with uh, where where students anonymously post reviews of their professors and the courses that they took. And I thought, man, this is brilliant. 
you know, this is, uh, it's reviews on professors. You, you, you know what uh, they've done. And, and then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm a professor at SMU. Do I have a page on Rate My Professors? So we checked and I do. And I started looking at it and, you know, I found this review that said that I was awesome and it gave great review, five out of five. You know, I love the fact that it said I was awesome. <laughs> but then I look at another review and I get one out of five and it says that I'm awful and it says that I'm arrogant, condescending, but a good grader, which we both know is what really matters, right? I'm a good grader. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. I look at the dates. Those reviews were posted within 10 days. I only teach one course per semester, uh, one class per semester. These two students sat in the same class. I don't know who they are because it is anonymous. They sat at the same class at the same time. I was obviously doing the same thing. How does one give me one out of five? The other gives me five out of five. And, and when you read the text, you can see that one completely uh, was aligned with me. The other one was completely the opposite. This is what, what I mean when I said the trust is relative. So, you know, when a company or, or a brand goes for this, this purpose and, and have the purpose, the higher purpose, the higher mission, the, the thing that we're going to do for the world, it's not going to resonate with 100% of the people. Right. right. It's going to resonate with people, <clears throat> some people that don't prioritize this. Mm -hmm. And that's fine as well. But for those people who really do prioritize, you're hitting on that personality compatibility between your brand and your customer, 86% correlation to trust. They're going to trust you because of that. Do you believe the success or failure of a purpose initiative really comes down to trust? I think that it has a major impact on trust, but it would have a major impact on trust for those who are aligned with that purpose and that prioritize that purpose. You know. Global warming, climate change, some people give it higher priority, some give it lower priority. Those who give it higher priority, they will only buy from a company that not only, and, and that, by the way, is very important, that, that you actually walk the talk. Absolutely. You know, saying yeah. we support uh, diversity and equity and inclusion, that's our main purpose. But, but in reality, they don't do that. That actually, by the way, would cause them to lose trust. Mm -hmm. That inconsistency between their stated purpose and their actions. Right. And there's so many companies that, that put things on, on their mission statement, claim this to be their purpose, but they don't really walk the talk. It, it would be better if you just didn't say that, if you just didn't say this was my purpose. So I think that having a purpose Walking the talk, so actually having consistency between your actions and that purpose would win you trust of those who prioritize that specific purpose. So, Dr. Solomon, when you look at the whole purpose movement, are you encouraged by what you're seeing? Now, you just referenced the purpose washing, and I know that that's a big industry issue. But do you feel, you know, long term that what you're seeing from brands and companies, you know, we're moving in the right direction? I have mixed feelings about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, the mixed feelings are not because of the purpose movement as it is because of so many companies using a purpose, just the words, yep. not the actions, not mm -hmm. followed by actions or, or, you know, very minimal action. 
And uh, as as I said, I would rather if if that's what you're going to do, if you don't really believe in it, and and this is where it starts. You know, it's not that we're going to adopt this purpose because uh, you know we did a uh, two year survey of three thousand five hundred seventy three customers, and what they told us is that the most important purpose is that uh, we are a green company that we're uh, friendly to the environment. And therefore, this is going to be our stated purpose. Now, what do we do about it? Nothing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're just going to state that. So this is why, why I have mixed uh, mixed uh, feelings about it. it. It has to start with a true, genuine desire to meet that purpose. When you really feel that this is your purpose, this is what you're trying to achieve. You, you know, ask me what my purpose is. Yeah, What what is your personal purpose? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that, <laughs> that you asked that. My purpose, what I do is, is I deliver workshops uh, that, that help individuals and companies build their own trustworthiness, because I really do believe that uh, trust is the product of someone's trustability and, and my trustworthiness, the trust that, that people have in me. I help people, I help organizations, individuals, and entities build trust, be trusted, uh, and and also know who to trust. But my my upper value is my my upper purpose is to reverse the decline in global trust. Mm. That is my purpose. It right. is stated, and when you look at what I do and how I do it, you will see the consistency. And you know what? Every time I deliver a workshop, I I deliver even a keynote, an opening keynote. Uh, people just tell me, I, I can feel that you're passionate about that. I can feel that you're genuine about that. Mm-hmm. What, what got you interested in trust? Ah, that's, <laughs> you know, when, when I started working on my doctoral research, I, it, it was time to come up with a topic. Mm-hmm. And I was on the phone with my mentor. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I heard uh, in the university is that a good dissertation is a done dissertation. Uh, because you know, so many people start. Th- this is where they fall. Sure. Uh, sure. This is where they failed or their doctoral uh, uh, journey by not finishing the dissertation. So, so you hear this thing at, at the university that a good dissertation is a done dissertation. And so, I'm aiming pretty low with the topic. And and my mentor was, you know, he was the other way. He kept pushing me higher and higher with the topic. And at some point, he asked me. Uh, a pivotal question in my professional life. He asked, Yoram, what pisses you off? And I wanted to say, well, you, because you don't let me <laughs> find a topic. But the words that came out of my mouth were, why are people so much more creative when they work in startup companies than when they work in large, mature companies? Mm-hmm. Well, there was quite on the other side of the line. And he said, I think we have a topic. And so I started doing the research. I spent two years researching that, and this was qualitative research. So this was this was not, you know, a survey that I end up with a 110-page dissertation. I spent two years, 348-page dissertation, and what it came down to is the culture in the companies. Mm-hmm. And I started making that distinction between a culture that lends itself to dissertation, to uh, uh, innovation, that supports innovation and mm-hmm. creativity, versus a culture that doesn't. I broke it into several very simple components. And I remember having a meeting with a customer, with a potential customer at the time. 
And as we went through, I, I started asking questions about their culture along the lines of my model. They did not have any of the positive components and all of the negative components. And the researcher in me started digging in. And I wanted to know why more than get them to become my customer. Mm -hmm. And when I started asking about autonomy, why is it that leaders don't give their employees autonomy in your company? Well, you know, they don't trust them. Why is it that, that your employees are not willing to take risk and try things and, and experiment? Well, they don't trust their managers that their managers will have their back if they fail. Why can't people in your organization have what I call a constructive disagreement, you know, where you can passionately disagree and, and stay friends? Well, you know, they don't trust each other. They don't trust each other to be vulnerable. They don't trust each other to give feedback. They don't trust. And I'm like hearing the word trust, 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 trust. And that's when it hit me that, you know, when I was helping companies innovate, it's like building a house from the second floor. You don't start with the second floor. The first floor is culture. You don't start with the first floor. You start with the foundation. What I realized was trust was the foundation. And, and I felt personally, professionally, I felt that I was at a junction and I had to decide whether I continue pursuing the, the topic of innovation, which I have been for, I don't know, 20 years at the time, or do I take a turn and focus on trust? And I asked 20 of my closest friends and family members, what do you think I should do? Stick with innovation or switch to trust? 19 out of 20 said stick with innovation. So I switched to trust. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hello, Beyond Profit listener. If your business is finding it challenging to define its purpose, I encourage you to download Discovering Brand Purpose, a complimentary playbook from the ANA Center for Brand Purpose. This robust playbook provides valuable advice from purpose experts on how to uncover the why of your business and ensure it's authentic and sustainable. You can download the playbook at ana.net slash brand purpose. That's ana.net slash brand purpose. Now, back to the show. So, you know, based on your years of research that you just talked about, what would you say are the habits of highly trusted companies? Several. One is really empathy. One is to use empathy to, uh, and, and empathy, just so that, that you know, or at least my definition of empathy, it's not pity, it's not compassion, uh, it's not sympathy. Empathy, you know, whenever I talk about empathy, I, I start with babies and cats have something in common. They both believe that the world revolves around them. <laughs> Right, but babies get out of it, and you can tell that I'm not a cat person much. But uh, how do babies get out of it? Well, first of all, we tell them the golden rule: you know, do to others what you'd like done to yourself. Well, that's not good enough because uh, you may like different things than I do, and so I shouldn't do things to you that I I would like done to myself. You know, it, it's it's way better than not considering you at all, but. It's still, it's not there. Or, you know, we tell them, put yourself in another person's shoes. And the thing is, those shoes don't fit me. And so I can't look at things from your side using my own perspective. I have to really want to see things from your side 
as if I were you. You know, mm-hmm. we may be at different levels at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, I may be at the self-fulfillment level trying to find whether I can fulfill my, my own personality even better while you are worrying about how do you make hands meet? How do you pay rent next week? Mm-hmm. And I have to see things from your perspective as if I were you. And so the first habit that that, that trustworthy people and, mm-hmm. and entities and brands have is they really do care about you and they really want to see things from your perspective. They don't feel sorry for you. They don't feel pity for you. It's not even compassion. It's a true desire to understand you and to see how you see things. And that makes them trustworthy because you realize that they really do care. Mm-hmm. Another one is that they, and I said that before, they do what they say and they say what they've done. You know, they, it's uh, people don't believe that that we have such a uh, an evolved BS sensor. You know, we we are all born with it, and and it just gets improving with time. It, it improves over time, and we can sense BS. And the more BS you use, the less. I'm going to trust you. And it's those people who don't BS you. They they just tell you what what it really is. Another one is uh, giving feedback, your Mm -hmm. your willingness to give feedback. Uh, Trustworthy people, trustworthy brands tell you what they really think and what Mm -hmm. they really feel. Another one is that they start with trust, and uh, that, that's going to be the topic of, of my next TED Talk, mm-hmm. and that is the reciprocity of trust. And, you know, one of, one of the examples that, uh, that I use is, uh, and I wrote it in an article, and I think uh, I, I did a podcast episode on that uh, as well, and that's uh, how do you kill employee trustworthiness? And, and you can. You, you can kill it. You know, when we talk about the reciprocity of trust, it's not only that I trust you, then you trust me. By the way, I, I disagree with that. I, I created over the years, I, I didn't create, I really observed and reported eight laws of trust. And number four is that trust is asymmetrical. For me to trust you, you don't have to trust me and vice versa. You know what? Uh, I'm a pilot. You're a passenger in my plane. You need to trust me to fly this plane. I don't have to trust you to mm-hmm. fly this plane, mm-hmm. right? It's it's asymmetrical. Right. So uh, the reciprocity of trust is not you trust me, then I trust you. It's not even, well, it, it is that that if you're trustworthy, then I will trust you. But there's one more element that, that people typically ignore. And that is, if I trust you, you will actually behave in a trustworthy way. And the reason for that is imagine what it feels like if I trust you and you know in your head that you don't deserve my trust, that you're not as trustworthy to the amount that I trust you, mm-hmm. you're not trustworthy with the things that I trust you with, what do you do? I mean, it feels bad. That's called cognitive dissonance. And as a result, you behave in a more trustworthy way. By the way, we can do the uh, the complete opposite. If if you are trustworthy and I distrust you, I show you that I distrust you, you will start behaving in a less trustworthy way. 
So I can affect your trustworthiness by my starting point of how much I trust you. Mm -hmm. So trusted leaders, especially, they start with trust. They start by trusting you more than they think, not 100%, not with your their lives, but more than they believe at the moment that they can trust you. Mm-hmm. And by that, they increase your trustworthiness. So when trust starts to wane, Dr. Solomon, and it could be, you know, from a couple of negative social media posts or in your what you had said, the poor marketing campaign, perhaps. How do you win it back? The first thing is recognizing that it happened. That's not straightforward. I mean, do you even know that you lost somebody's trust? Mm-hmm. So, so that you'll have to regain it. So it starts with being really observant and, and realizing that, you know, something has happened. Something happened here. All of a sudden, you know, if you're my boss and all of a sudden you, you're micromanaging me, if, if you're a customer and I'm a brand that you're buying from, I'm starting to realize that, you know, you're not as loyal as you used to be. You don't talk about me the way mm-hmm. you used to. And and you know that uh, that you can track uh, how people are talking about about a brand about your brand absolutely yep. and so you track that and you realize that people are shifting how they talk uh, how they talk about you so the first the first step is to recognize it the next step is own it don't throw anybody under the bus you own it. Mm-hmm have a friend uh we used to go fly uh, radio controlled airplanes that's we share this hobby mm-hmm. and i remember once he took off and right off to takeoff plane rolled his plane rolled over crashed he started blaming everything except for one thing except for the pilot whenever i crash and i have crashed several of my airplanes every time the question that i would open with is what could I have done differently? Because if you don't own it, you're bound to repeat it. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen again. So the first step is you own it. You know, another thing is I remember once I, I had a meeting with someone and he was late. He came over to the meeting and he said, you know, my assistant uh, didn't inform me of the meeting in time and so on. And you can't really get good help these days. And I thought, man, if I had any shred of trust in you, that just went away. (laughs) You own it. This is my fault. Even if it was the assistant, it's your fault because you hired her. It's your fault because you didn't put the right processes in time so that this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You own it. You do not throw anybody under the bus. By the way, the worst thing you can do is put it back on uh, whoever... Uh, lost trust in you and say, well, this was actually your fault. I mean, yeah, sure. That's going to make them trust you now. The next step is a simple ask. Well, it's not simple. It's simple to ask. It's not a small ask. What do I have to do to earn your trust again? What do I have to do to regain your trust? So that's the next and it's it's not a it's a simple question, but it's not an easy ask. You're mm-hmm. you're asking them, but you are showing that you are interested, that your their trust is important to you. So you ask, what is it that I can do to how do I get your trust back? Mm-hmm. The next step 
is once they told you, don't screw up again. You know, that's uh, you're familiar with the phrase, uh, fool me once, shame on me, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Don't mm-hmm. get to the point where it's shame on them. Right. You got a second chance. You do not blow it. Uh, now, one, one important thing to say here is, um, you know, one of the components of my trustworthiness model is a positivity. One thing that I found through research, not, not necessarily my research, research done before me, is that bad is much stronger than good, which means that if you lost trust, you're going to have to put much more effort in regaining right. it than getting it for the first time. The mm-hmm. first time you just got the trust, you never lost it. Once you lost it, it's going to be much, much harder. It's going to take time. You know, you can't just say, oh, you know what? That thing that I just did, that screw up that, that I just did, uh, it's never going to happen again. Trust me to the same level. No, mm-hmm. you're going to have to prove that. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to take much longer and it's going to be much harder to prove that uh, you should get just to get to the same place where you were right. trustworthiness wise before you lost that trust. I, I want to read a quote uh, from you that said, trust is built not by demanding that the other person behaves in a way that will earn your trust. It is built by you behaving in a way that will earn theirs, which um, I think is so important. I'm hoping you can elaborate a bit on that. No, I was drunk when I said that. <laughs> I don't know what. Next I'm question, saying. please. <laughs> yeah, what wasn't it? No, uh, <laughs> seriously, this is actually the. Uh, this comes from as as I said before. I observed and reported eight laws of trust. And this is kind of how trust behaves. And Mm -hmm. and this is really the eighth law of trust. Trust is a two-person game. There's a person that trusts and a person that's being trusted. And the level of trust that you have in me is the product of your trustability, your willingness to trust people in general Mm -hmm. or people like me. So it's the product of your trustability and my trustworthiness. There's almost nothing I can do about your trustability, your willingness to trust people in general or people like me in general, and everything I can do about my own trustworthiness. And the reason I state that is because I can't control your trustability. I can't do anything about the fact that you're not willing to trust people. You know how it is. Some people just are not willing to trust people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember once my wife flew back from Israel, had a connection in Philadelphia, stopped at the Philadelphia airport. She was hungry. She was probably asleep on the flight from Israel, so didn't get the uh, airline food. And so she she ate something at, at the restaurant, at a fast food restaurant at the airport. You know what? I don't know if it was the cheese in that cheese sandwich. I don't know if it was anything else. I don't know if it was really that sandwich. But she felt really, really bad during that last Mm -hmm. flight from Mm -hmm. Philadelphia to uh, Dallas. And to the point where when they landed, they took her off the plane on a stretcher and, and took her to a hospital. And she would never, ever set foot at that fast food restaurant chain again. Ever, period. I can't convince her otherwise. So that's her trustability. She lost her trustability 
in that fast food restaurant mm-hmm. chain. All of it. She only got exposed to one event. The the consequences or how severe the consequences are has a big impact on the fact that she says, you know what, I'm not willing to, to go to that restaurant chain again ever. So the reason I made that statement is that you can't really force somebody to have trustability. The only thing that you can do something about is your own trustworthiness. And if their trust in you is the product of their trustability and your trustworthiness, and you can't do anything about your trustability, then you can only do something about your trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the part where you're accountable for the trust that they have in you. Lastly, Dr. Solomon, uh, you've been at the trust game for, as I mentioned at the top, more than a decade now. I'd love to hear you know you talk about, about why you continue to find it fascinating and and do you see that you know being so moving forward? Well, you know, uh, two days from now, I'm I'm going to uh, have a meeting and uh, potential start a collaboration with a major human resources organization uh, uh, on on a national level. And uh, the reason is because when I started looking at research, not just mine, some of it was mine, but most of it was not on the correlation between trust and different aspects in the organization. So for example, employees stress, stress is 76% lower when you have high trust. Employees are 88% more likely to tell a friend or another family member, you should come and work for this company that I'm working for. Mm -hmm. 50% more likely to stay one more year in the company if there is a high level of trust. There are so many components there. When I look at this, and I, by the way, companies, and this was uh, this was a study I think done in 2012 by a major consulting firm. They found that companies that have a high level of trust deliver 286 percent higher shareholder return to their wow, shareholders. Significant. 286 percent higher. It's mm-hmm. almost four times as much. Uh, another study that I found showed that projects. And on time, on budget, and as intended, 45% more when you have a higher level of trust. So when I look at all of this and I realize that, you know what, I was right. Trust is the foundation. You know, the book of trust, you mentioned the book of trust. It's now in the third edition. Mm -hmm. It is at this point at 550 pages. It is the most comprehensive book on ever written on trust. When I have to write topics for the trust show, what am I going to write to talk about in the trust show? Right now, Ken, right now, I have topics for the next year and a half on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. I have the next year and a half worth of topic of topics. And, and I look at this and I go, this is the foundation for everything. It has mm-hmm. such a huge impact on everything. Every you know, the book of trust is, is in the third edition because every year I learn so much that I realize I, I have to come up with a second edition. I have to come up with a third edition. By the way, the first edition came out in 2020, two years ago. I'm in a third edition <laughs> because that thing, it's not that it evolves as it is that I'm finding more and more on a weekly basis, sometimes more than a, more than once a week, I deliver a keynote. I do a workshop. I learn from those workshops myself. New things that, that trust has an impact on. 
I told you, and it really bothers me that declining trust mm-hmm. that we're seeing, that I get to the point where my mission is to reverse it. Right. It's one person at a time, one brand at a time, one company at a time. Mm-hmm. It's to reverse it. Lofty ambition, but I certainly wish you all the best of luck. Dr. Solomons, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Ken. To learn more about his great work on trust, please visit YoramSolomon.com. That's Y-O-R-A-M Solomon.com. If you'd like to recommend a guest or a topic for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ANA.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.